Let's just go ahead and read all of Titus 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Titus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. All right, so just kind of uh, where we are. We have talked about the main message of Titus is uh, God and the gospel, and then how we that flows out into our lives, how we obey that, how that the implications of that, how they affect us as a church, chapter 1, uh, as individuals in our roles, chapter 2, and then chapter 3 is a lot of interacting with um, not just the church, but government, and then other people, people who aren't Christians, and so um, kind of going to get into that this week. So the plan, at least, uh, Lord willing, to get through this message, we'll, we'll just kind of do an overview of a few of the verses, and I'm going to kind of skip over some things that might be natural questions, but I'm just going to try and give an, an overview of, of the main message of what Paul's getting across, and then next week we'll come back, or not next week, next time we get it, we're in Titus, but come back and kind of answer some of those more detailed questions about, well, how does this work, how does this look? specifically. So that's kind of the plan. So we're going to focus in, we talked about government uh, in the first verse in Titus last week, and so we're going to kind of pick up in verse 2 and start there. So I'll just give you the summary here of what this section is saying here. How we treat other individuals is rooted in Christ, in his activity in our lives, in his character, what he's done, and in his grace toward us. And so those are the three things I really want to talk about. And I think really you can see them here in the text. So let's start with the first one, which is how we treat individuals, um, other individuals, is rooted in Christ, specifically his activity in our lives. So Paul starts off by giving these commands on how we should treat others. It says, speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling, be gentle, and show perfect courtesy towards all people. So those are the commands all about how we're interacting with other people. 
And then he roots it in this next verse 4. So this is why, this is the reason, this is the ground, this is the motive as well for why we do this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So remember how we used to live before Christ, and then he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. And so you can see here how he's saying the way we treat others, the reason we do that, the reason we're going to not quarrel, the reason we want to treat others with courtesy, the reason that we don't want to, um, that we want to be gentle and not harsh and things like that is because of the way Christ treated us and the way we used to live. That we're, as we look back and reflect on where we were, what we were like, what we were living for, our life before Christ, and then how Christ came into our life, that overflows in how we treat other people. He describes, you know, our the life apart from Christ as sinful, foolish, disobedient, um, kind of paraphrasing here, stubborn, led astray, living for all types of things. So he says passions and pleasures. We could say, we could kind of fill that out and say we were living for something other than God, whether that's food or vacations or money or relationships or fame or success. Whatever passion and pleasure people are living for other than God, it's kind of summarized here by Paul. And what that leads to is people that are mean. Uh, we're hateful and hurtful and greedy and envious. And we can all see in our lives, you know, how we have let this pursuit of some other thing come into our life, get between us and God, and also hurt those around us that we're willing to, because of our selfishness, hurt other people. And he's saying, remember that. Remember that. Whenever you act, interact with somebody, remember your life before Christ and remember what Christ did. That if we're not like that, if anyone in here is not like that, it's not because we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? He says, we're not saved because of works done by us in righteousness, but by grace, by mercy. And so if, if those don't describe us anymore, it's because of God. It's not because we're better. It's not because we figured it out. It's not because we really got our act together. It's because God invaded our life. And then you can see how that would overflow in our interaction with other people. That we, the reason we act the way we act towards other people is because of what God has done in our life. Um, the way he treated us, despite us. And so this has implications for you know all all relationships really whether that's families, people we're working with, people in the community. It could be like we talked about last week, public figures like politicians or or um, somebody else, uh, some other public figure, friends, neighbors, any person that you can think of that you ever interact with, even distantly or near. That Paul is giving us a command here on how to treat that person, and he's saying that if we remember who Christ is, who we were, and what he's done for us, that that changes the way we interact with others. Paul kind of says it differently, the similar thing in a different way in 1 Corinthians when he says, For who sees anything different in you? What did you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So he's saying that every person you ever interact with, there's no reason to be puffed up or to be proud because if you're different, it's not because 
um, you figured it out, it's because of God's grace in your life, whether that's through your parents, whether that's through him inter- directly intervening and in, through his word, through his spirit, whether it's even how your personality is wired, that you didn't, in your mom's womb, knock on the womb and say, hey, God, I want to be really nice and I want to be smiling all the time and I want these certain personality traits, right? God gave those to you, you know, or, or it could be success in another area, maybe it's sports or whatever, but we didn't even choose where we were born. We didn't choose how God made us. And if any of those things are something we can be thankful for, the person we thank is God. And that's the response, not um, not treating other people badly or, or looking down on them or anything like that. I liked I like a summary. I think I've shared this before. One person, they ask different people to summarize the gospel. And one person, this was their summary. They said, the gospel is... One beggar leading another beggar to bread. And I like that. I think that's, uh, you know, it's not an exhaustive summary or whatever of the gospel. Like, you could give, like, a very detailed scriptural definition. But I like the feel of that because it's it's getting at our need, our need for God. We're beggars. But also our relationship with one another. That we're when we come to people, to sinners, we're coming as fellow sinners who also are beggars, who who aren't self-sufficient and who also are in need of a savior and we're sharing that there is a savior there is bread the bread of life jesus who has saved us and that's the good news Um, and so that's kind of the disposition we have towards other people is rooted in remembering what christ has done in our lives and who we were and it's a big deal we want this um we want this attitude you know, there's so many different metaphors for the Christian life. And, you know, one that I hear a lot, which is definitely from in the Bible, is kind of this wartime mentality. You know, it's like we're on a mission. We're trying to, you know, um, fight against darkness and all these things. And that's true. There's passages like that in the Bible. But if we have just that view, then we can uh, have an unbalanced Christian life, really. Because... We're not warring against other Christians who disagree with us. We're not warring against um, politicians who are, you know, we disagree with and are doing things that are even ungodly. We're not warring against them. Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That every person we interact with, no matter where they're at, they're exactly where we would be apart from the grace of God, right? And so we can pray for them. We can look to them with love and compassion and pity and pray that God would save them and also relate to them as a fellow beggar, you know, who has found bread in Jesus Christ. And so the reason I bring that up is this attitude that Paul is describing here is the attitude we have towards other people. That, yes, there's difficult and dark things in the world, and as we encounter that, we have to remember that we would be doing the same thing. And and maybe the sins that we had were slightly different than the person we're interacting with, but we were just as enslaved. We were just as lost. We were just as deceived. We were just as idolatrous. We were just as mean, but in different ways. And so we remember Christ. 
And what I'm really describing here and what Paul's describing is that in every interaction we have, whoever that's with, is there's another person there for the Christian. It's Jesus, right? And he's there informing how we act. What he's done to us and the way he's treated us is this kind of this mediator between us and these other people. It's a reminder not only of where we were, but who we ought to be like, which is Christ. And so the first point really is reflecting on who Christ is in our own personal lives and where we were apart from him, and that that overflows into how we treat others. Now, the second thing I want to bring out is similar, but is slightly different than that. Okay, You know, the reason that we don't want to speak evil uh, we don't. We want to avoid quarreling. We want to be gentle. We want to show perfect courtesy towards all people. The reason for this is what Paul said: our past life, reminding ourselves of the gospel and what it's done for us. But it's also specifically the character of Christ. That the way God is, we're looking to Him not only for what He's done to us, but we want to be like Him. We want to imitate Him. And this, I want you to. Look here at one specific word here. Just focus in on a word that is helpful. It's in verse 4 here, chapter 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. This word loving kindness Loving kindness, the loving kindness of God in verse 3. Uh, the word probably sounds familiar to you. I'll tell you what it is in Greek just because um, it kind of came over into English. Philanthropos is the word. Philanthropos. Uh, or philanthropia. So that sounds very similar to um, like somebody who gives away money, we call them like. Um, we call it philanthropy, you know, and it's coming from this word. It's a compound word, two Greek words mashed together, uh, which is love, philos, and man, anthropos. So God loves man. God, his, um, the word loving kindness here is, that's a good, that's a good translation. But it misses the, um, the man part, right? He loves men. God loves men. And then specifically, this whole section is talking about sinful men. God loves sinful men. This is the way God is. Um, It's a characteristic of what God is like. And think about this description here of what God is describing as us. What we were like. Sinful, foolish, disobedient, stubborn, led astray, living for all types of passions and pleasures, food, vacations, money, all these things. Other things, other things in God, other passions. Um, people that are mean, hateful, hurtful, greedy, envious people. That's God loves them. Every single person that has ever been saved is many, if not all of those, right? And he still loves them. And so if that's what God is like, what should we be like? You know, think about if the word was, um, you know, we talked about, actually this word came up earlier in Titus, lovers of good. I mean, that's a good thing. We should be lovers of good. But God is more than just a lover of good. Because if God was, if it just said love, he loves good, 
um, it wouldn't get across what it's trying to get across here because we weren't good, right? God didn't just love the good people. God didn't just love people that had a certain amount of goodness or whatever. God loved bad people. God loved sinful people. God loved despicable people. Um, And he looks down and loves them, and he wants to save them at great cost to himself, and that's what it goes into, Jesus, how Jesus is the reason we're saved through his death and his mercy. And this is really, we could go through the whole Bible. I don't want to take too long, but we could just go over and over and over. I mean, think about reading through the Old Testament. So often, I used to read the Old Testament and just be shocked at the way the people were acting. It's like, I thought these people in the Old Testament were supposed to be like Christian heroes or something like that. And they mess up a lot, and they do really terrible things. Think about Jacob and how he's always like deceiving people. Or Judah, the Judah and Tamar story, and Levi and Simeon are murderous, you know, um, murderously vengeful. Um, David is an adulterous murderer. Jonah is, we could say, prejudiced or maybe racist, um, certainly not merciful. Uh, the Ninevites themselves that he didn't like, they were very wicked. Paul was a persecutor of the church over and over and over. God is looking down at really, really sinful, dark, evil people and loving them and pulling them out. And if that's what God is like, what should we be like in the world and as Christians? We should love people and not just good people. We should love mean people, hateful people, deceived people, disobedient people, suburb people, people that are living for all kinds of passions and pleasures, not for God, um, people that are mean and hateful and hurtful and greedy and envious people because that's the way God is. That's the way God was towards us. And so this same characteristic of love, of how God loves men, is he's, at, he's calling us to do the same, is to love people. Jesus talks about this in a little bit, uh, the same kind of idea in, in a different way. He says, well, let's use Jesus as an example here. I'll just kind of paraphrase. But you remember when Jesus was on the cross, and the people are mocking him, and they're spitting on him, and they're saying, if you're really God, why don't you come down? Uh, if you're really God's son, you know, save yourself. If you're really the Christ. And they mocked him, and they came up, and they offered him sour wine and all this stuff. If you're the king of Jews, save yourself. All, that, all those things. And Jesus' response, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they do. What a love. What a philanthropos, right? A lover of man. And not good men. Mean men. I mean, exceedingly cruel men. He's, he loves them, and he's praying for them despite themselves, despite that they hate him and are mocking him. And as we think on what God has done in our lives, how he loved us, and then just his character in himself, who he is, the love that he has for sinful men that motivates us in how we interact with other people. I mean, think about this verse in terms of Christ. Speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, and show perfect courtesy towards all people. What a difficult situation to be gentle and show perfect courtesy when somebody's spitting on you, mocking you, and killing you. And yet Jesus' response was not vengeful or mean or harsh. It was filled with love and grace and mercy. And it's not easy. That what God is calling us here to is actually a really, really difficult thing. This is not an easy command here. Show perfect courtesy towards all people, every single person. 
you know, the time when this is going to be tested is not when things are going really well, when you're with your friends and people are treating you well or, or whatever. It's when things are hard and people are unreasonably um, difficult and mean. That's when this command is going to be tested. And he's calling us. Notice the alls here. Perfect courtesy towards all people. Speak evil of no one. It's like God wants us to be like him and be taken out of this natural way of, of interacting with people. And it takes strength. I mean, this is not an easy thing to do. The Proverbs say that, you know, a heavier than a, a stone or sand, or I think it's, I'm going to give you my best a paraphrase of it. Stone, a stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but the provocation of a fool is weightier than both. It's like somebody's being mean to you, somebody's you know mocking you or whatever. That's hard to bear up under. And here's Jesus bearing up under all kinds of mockery and responding with love. And so the, it's easy to come here and be you know nice to to everybody here. It's easy to show courtesy and be patient because in general people aren't yelling or mean or anything like that, you know. Um, when this is going to be tested is when it's the opposite, when people are acting, you know, when you think about the worst kinds of situations you've ever been in, that's when this is hard and it takes strength. It takes real strength to follow this from God. We need the Lord to help us because it's in those difficult moments um, that we need um, the strength to love. Um, it, we need the strength to love. That comes from God, and he's calling us to that. It's not easy. Kind of dovetailing, this is very similar to the last point, but it's, I mean, it's slightly different. Okay, And I'm going to focus in not on the word love, but on the word grace, which they're so intertwined, it may feel like the, kind of the same point again. But it's, it's slightly different. How we treat other individuals is rooted in Christ and his example of grace the example of grace. You know, it's moving from this, the natural man is, I'll be nice to you if you're nice to me. But if you're mean to me, I'm going to, um, you know, respond in kind. Either that, whether that's avoid you at, you know, at best or be cold to you or, or at worst, maybe even say something back to you um, or whatever that looks like. But that's the natural man's response is kind of tit for tat. You know, it's like, you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. Otherwise, you know, we're on good terms until you decide otherwise. But Jesus kind of brings this out in uh, Matthew. Think about the difference between that and grace. The difference between being nice to people that are nice to you and being aloof, you know, or whatever, holding people at arm's length who aren't, versus God, how he reacts. What grace is, is coming in undeserved favor and love and mercy. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Paul's command on how we interact with people, how we're gentle, we're loving, how we uh, speak, we don't speak evil, we're avoiding quarreling, we're showing perfect courtesy towards all people, this requires grace because the command isn't be courteous when other people are courteous. Be kind when other people are kind. Be gentle if other people are gentle. It's, these are all commands. 
And we have to move from this natural mentality to Christ-like mentality. The greatest opportunities are going to be the most difficult. And if we were to kind of, I'm going to kind of paraphrase Jesus' words, combining it with this section here. If you speak evil only of the people who you think deserve it, what more are you doing than others? Think about that. If you speak evil only of the people who you think deserve it, what more are you doing than others? You know, it's like, we'll be kind, we'll be gracious, but if, you know, I'll say bad things if they deserve it, you know, if they really are that bad, if they're really, you know, um, you know, whether that's, like we talked about last week, public figures, you know, that's kind of an easy thing to pick on, but how do we respond this kind of this verse is not going to be tested when the person you really like and checks all your boxes is in office right it's going to be tested when you really really don't like what the person is doing how are you going to respond then how respectful are you going to be um, how gentle how courteous uh, are you going to be in those moments that's when it's going to be tested you know the natural person is happy to say nice things when their person gets elected what about when the person we really disagree with gets elected how are we going to respond then? Um, that's just one example, but there's many. You know, it's not just politics. We just happened to be talking about that last week. But work, you know, people at work, um, neighbors, family members, any person we're interacting with, this is covering it. It says all people. Um, and so, how are we going to respond? And so, that's kind of a paraphrase of what Jesus said. I'll just continue on. If you speak only evil about the people you think deserve it, what more are you doing than others? Do you not even the Gentiles do the same? Speak evil of no one. If you show perfect courtesy towards the people you agree with, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? I mean, it's easy for us to do this when we're all on the same page, right? When everybody's on the same page, we're, you know, yeah, we'll be courteous. We're, we're kind. We agree. But whenever we disagree, whenever there's somebody who's going against what we believe, um, then how are we going to respond? Um, that's when these things are harder and when we need the Lord and when really it shows the difference between Christians, Christ in us, and just being like everybody else, being like the world. Um, we want to be like Jesus. And just to kind of bring this up just for eventually we're going to talk about it. There's a lot of questions here because how does this specifically work? Because there's some things that are hard to fit together. Like, okay, if you take this command, speak evil of no one. How do you fit in, you know, that Paul said, like, uh, uh, beware of Alexander the coppersmith. He didn't mean much harm. If you, at first that sounds like, well, doesn't that, I mean, that sounds like he's speaking evil of Alexander the coppersmith. So there's a lot of questions like how do we deal with, do this specifically? What is he specifically meaning? Um, so I'm not going to get into all the details and how do we discern this? I'm just giving the overview today, so eventually we'll get to that. Um, because, I mean, even later on we read it, it says, reject a divisive person. So it's like, at some point you have to say, you're divisive, you can't, you know, we're going to separate from you, we're not going to have anything more to do with you. He's, he, he commands us to do that. Is that speaking evil of someone, and how does that all fit together? So there's some discernment and some difficulty there, but we'll go over that um, another time. Just trying to give the overview, so just acknowledging that. If you have a question like that, good, you know, I think it's a good question. But we're just going to kind of gloss over today and just give the general overview. Okay. 
So here's, I'm going to try and summarize all our points here and just give a, an encouragement and, and maybe a, an exhortation. So because of what Christ did in us, we've moved into this new realm. We're out of the natural realm. We're not um, responding in kind anymore like we used to be. We're not nice to only those who are nice to us. We're in the realm of grace now. We want to be gracious towards people. We want to love people um, who even don't love us. And that is what Christ was like. And we're thankful. Because if that wasn't the way God was like, if that's not what God was like, we wouldn't be saved at all. We would still be lost in our sins. But God set aside you know, what we deserved. If he treated us the way we treated him, we would have nothing, he would have nothing to do with us. Because we didn't want anything to do with him. And so he's calling us in, in the world we live in to be image bearers of him. To not just respond the way everyone else responds, but to respond the way he responded to us in grace, in gentleness, in kindness, um, looking past all the you know, sin and loving and continuing to love despite all that. Again, the way I would describe it is every time we interact with anybody, especially when it's difficult, there's another person there that Christ is there informing us in the way he's treated us, in the way his character is internally, uh, his love for, for sinful men, being willing to die for them. Uh, all these things are informing the way we interact. And so it's just something to be mindful of. As we're out in the community, as we go to work, as we deal with difficult things, I'm sure I would be very, very surprised if there was even one person here who hasn't had a very difficult work situation right at work where there's something difficult going on, uh, personal, person to person. And in those moments, remember Jesus. And remember the way it used to be before, before Christ. Remember um, that if there's anything different in you, it came from him because of his grace and, and mercy in your life. Remember how he loves sinners, how he loved Jacob, how he loved all these really messed up people in the Bible and how he's calling us to do the same, how he responded not, not tit for tat, not um, if you're nice, I'm going to be nice, but with grace, overflowing, abundant mercy and love, even when people don't deserve it. And that's the way God is asking us to respond uh, t- towards others. And so Christ is there. I think part of this is we need to reflect on these things and remember Take time just to reflect on where was I before Jesus? What was I living for? What was my love and where was I going? And who did I hurt along the way in pursuing that? And then as we interact with other people, seeing ourselves in them, you know, seeing that we're both beggars looking for bread, looking to needing Christ, um, not having the resources in ourselves. Remembering where we were, but also remembering the character and love of God, how that informs us. We can be very, very thankful for the Bible. We can be very, very thankful that God revealed himself to us and he put Christ at the center. We were talking at our small group about, I think we were talking about this. Um, We have a lot of questions, you know. 
about life, about different things going on. And a lot of times God gives us a different answer than we want. You know, we're asking like when questions, how questions, what questions, and God almost always is answering with a who. He's answering Jesus. He's answering I'm God. And there's so many examples of this, you know, like Moses um, saying like, well, but how am I going to speak? And God's like, remember, I'm God. And I am. And I, may, I gave man his lips, you know. And Job is asking, well, how is this all working out, God? Like, it seems un, unfair. You know, it seems like I didn't do anything wrong. And, and God's response basically back is, remember, I'm God and I'm in control. And over and over and over in the Psalms, you know, God is answering back with a who, you know. Who is the answer? It's God. It's Christ. It's, it's the character of God that we really need to know about. And... In all these difficult situations, you know, it can be easy to ask the wrong question. Like, well, God, why are you bringing this person into my life? Or uh, why is this difficult thing going on? Or when is this going to be over? And God wants us to remember the who. Remember Christ. Remember God. And remember what he's like. And in that, you're going to be informed of where you ought to go and what's the purpose there. That in those difficult situations, looking to Jesus, seeing what he's like, and then it's a natural response. Oh, this is how Christ was. This is how I want to be. Why am I here? It's, I'm here for Christ. What does God want me to do? Well, he wants me to look like Christ. Where do I get the strength? I get it from Christ. And as we gaze on Christ more and more and more and think about him, what he's done, think about the gospel, that that flows out into our life in all these ways that you might not immediately think about, right? You might not think that if you get up in the morning and you pray to God and you really thank him, God, thank you for saving me when I didn't deserve it. Thank you so much for pulling me out. Thank you for loving me despite all my faults and failures and sins. You don't immediately, it doesn't immediately come into your mind, wow, that's going to change how I respond to people the rest of the day. But it is. It really does. Because like we just talked about, as we think on those things, as we reflect on those things, those things spill out in every interaction in our life because they're informing us of who we are. We're really sinners. Who God is, he really loves sinners. And what he's done, he really has saved us. And not only that, this may be a person, the person you're interacting with, might be the exact type of person God wants to save. Maybe today, maybe this week, maybe this month. Maybe it's just a seed you plant and you never see the fruit. But it could be later on down the road. But there's an opportunity there as we reflect on Jesus, as we reflect on the gospel, that in all these little ways, it, it, it creeps out into our life. And it may not even be immediately apparent in your mind, but it makes a difference. And so my encouragement to you would be, think on Christ. Think on what he's done in your life. Think about his love for you and for those around you. And as you do that, it'll affect everything. I mean, it'll affect everything in your life. But specifically today we're talking about it's going to affect how we respond in our relationships with other people. And so that's my encouragement to you is, has has there been that time in your life lately, you know, where you take some time just to set aside and think on Jesus and remember what he's done in your life, but also just who he is in himself. Because if you haven't, take some time, read a couple verses about it tomorrow or the next day, whenever you get a chance and just meditate on it. And then ask the Lord, help me, help me this to be real in my heart and my mind and my life as I move out into the world. So that's my encouragement to you. And uh, we can be very thankful. We can be worshipful of Christ and God, the Father and the Spirit who saved us. So, Lord willing, n- next time we come come back to Titus, we'll get more into maybe the details. How does this specifically look? Um, and then, 
even just more of the details where there's this, this is quite a beautiful section on salvation, on what it really means for God to save us and dig into some of these words here. But that's, um, that's all for today. So let's pray together. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful for you and your love for the world. Jesus, we're thankful that you became a man so that you could die for undeserving sinners like us and many others. Uh, we, we do pray that you would save people that we interact with. Um, there's many people we know from your word that you want to save that aren't saved yet. And so we're asking, would you save people? If there's any way you want to use us, we're willing and able. By your spirit, we're asking for help. Um, we're not able on ourselves, but we're here, we're available. We want you to lead us and guide us, and so we're asking for help um, to know what to say, help to respond in the right way and with love and grace and gentleness. Um, protect, would you put a guard over our mouth? We want to be like you. We want to just um, say what you want us to say and not more. We want to be different from the world in our words and how we treat others. Uh, help us to respond in grace. Would you give us uh, strength to love? We want to love um, not just people that love us or not just when it's easy. We want to love in the most difficult situations when it's the hardest, uh, just the way you did, but we need your help. So we're asking, give us the strength to love uh, and respond with grace and gentleness. Um, we need you. We're thankful for you. Thankful that you love us um, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Pray you'd help us this week. I pray this would just be real to us, that it wouldn't just be um, more information, but you would uh, could really sink into our heart uh, the love that you have for us and what that means in our life. And I pray if there's any other um, kids, or we especially pray for our kids, that they would be saved, that they would have this experience of you and knowing your love and knowing that you forgave uh, their sins and tr trusting you with their soul and their life. Pray that more and more of our kids would be saved and follow you. And we thank you for the testimony today and uh, other testimonies of kids um, that are wanting to do that. We're very thankful for every single one of those. We're looking to you for help. We're, we're needy, and we're asking for you to fill us by your spirit. We're asking all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.